Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. This is Adam Woodhall, and uh, today I am with Andy Last, who is the CEO of Mullen Low Salt, which is a sustainability communications agency. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Um, so, uh, welcome to all the listeners. Um, if you want to find out more about uh, Andy, uh, myself, Adam Woodall, or anything to do with our businesses, obviously you can find us on uh, social media and the digital world. Um, but um, so we don't distract you into doing that, we won't give you any details just yet. Um, we'll uh, hopefully capture your attention with this uh, captivating conversation today. So what I'd like to start off with is just be say thank you to Andy uh, for coming along because uh, just over six months ago he uh, launched a, a really interesting book uh, which was called Business on a Mission, uh, subtitled How to Build a Sustainable Brand. And uh, today uh, he's going to be talking about a bit about what, what he uh, was talking about in that, what his journey has been over the, the last few years, 10 years, 15 years in uh, his agency's um, uh, growth and um, also a little bit about his own, himself. So Andy, maybe tell us a bit about um, uh, Mullen Low Salt, which I understand has just been uh, a, a new company has kind of come about and a little bit about yourself as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, Mullen Low Salt, we, we were, Salt itself was founded back in 2000. Um, we have grown that over the years working with clients like uh, Unilever, Kimberly Clark, Manpower Group. And since kind of 2004 onwards, a lot of that work has focused on the way business interacts with society uh, and the sustainability movement. And 2006 onwards, we started working with Lifeboy, which has been an incredible journey for us. Lifeboy Soap and how that has used a great social uh, mission in terms of helping people uh, protect themselves from the disease by using um, soap more frequently, which clearly ties into their business um, business success in terms of increasing sales of soap. And that, that became the heart of the models we created to help businesses and brands identify the right social issue with which they could deliver genuine social good and real commercial growth. That led to us expanding into Asia. 2012, we opened Salt Singapore. 2016, um, captured a lot of that story and the Lifeboy story and some personal stories and case studies and interviews in Business on a Mission, like you say. And then last week, uh, we announced, uh, or the week before last, uh, we were acquired by Mullen Lowe to become Mullen Lowe Salt, uh, which is really the next exciting stage of our, our journey to take that thought and the work around purpose and, and strategic communications onto a, to an even bigger platform. Great stuff. So tell us a bit about, a bit about Andy as well. What's yeah. one interesting vignette about yourself, maybe? An interesting thing. So I grew up on, uh, on the Wirral, which many people may know is, is uh, across the Mersey from Liverpool. And I grew up near Port Sunlight, uh, which was the, the, the model village uh, William Lever founded in the 1880s uh, when he was building his his business that eventually became the Unilever we know today and that we work with a lot today and being taken around that model village, which was similar to a lot of the, um, the, the, the towns that some of those nonconformist uh, religious business leaders created to look after their workers, create better companies that, that did good 
and recognise their social obligations alongside their, their commercial imperatives. So I grew up with that story of Lever and how he created products that would bring sunlight to people across the British Empire then who maybe didn't have much sunlight in their lives um, and at the same time created good homes for his workers. But all the time, it was very clear, even in that story I saw as a little boy, it was very clear that one of the reasons for having good homes for your workers was Mm. to have a more productive workforce. Mm. One of the reasons for creating brands that would bring sunlight to, to people across the world was to drive profits and then there was no um, it wasn't a sort of binary choice between doing good and, and, and doing well and so that, that was just one of the stories I grew up with um, I then very nearly became a lawyer which was a lucky Ooh. escape for me and for the legal profession <laughs> uh, started working in comms in 1990 um, where I met my uh, my now business partner Richard and Worked in comms for 10 years, and then in 2000, we set up Salt. So that was where that, that stage in the, the, the story continued. And what about maybe something from your, your current personal life? What do you like doing when you're not uh, uh, helping the world have more of a mission in the business world? Uh, well, we live down in Sussex in a beautiful village called Rodmel, uh, where Virginia Woolf lived. Um, so it's right in the middle of the South Downs. And because we're talking in late July... Um, it's obviously the middle of the cricket season. We have a lovely village cricket team down there, which is everything you would expect from village cricket in terms of um, beautiful scenery, um, lovely teas, and inadequate cricket performance. <laughs> so that, that's, that's front of mind at the moment. <laughs> Great stuff. Right then, well, um, so one of the things, actually, just to, for, the, for the listeners, Life Boy, just give, uh, because it's not a brand I... Yeah. Is it, it's not a brand that's in Britain. It hasn't been in the York. UK since the early 80s. Right, yeah. okay. So tell me, just because I know we'll probably refer back to Life Boy a few times, because uh, it's uh, it's the poster boy, if you pardon the expression, of, of what you've been doing and what you've been achieving. Tell me a bit, just a bit more about Life yeah. Boy as a brand. So, so Life Boy, it's very interesting to use the word poster boy. Um, one of the, so William Lever created Life Boy as a brand in the 1880s. It was a brand based on making soap affordable Uh, to poorer people at that point so it was a luxury that only the rich could afford Mm. scientists were beginning to understand germ theory then and the relationship between hygiene and health there were thousands upon thousands of people pouring into Liverpool then at the height of the industrial post-industrial revolution height of the empire Mm. all the jobs and mass urbanization which obviously we see in other parts of the world now Mm. Um, people pouring in living in um, poor dwellings and waterborne diseases like cholera were whipping through so there was a genuine social need to improve people's hygiene. And Lever realised that if he could create a soap that was affordable to those people, he could literally help them save their lives, mm. hence its name, Lifeboy. And at the same time, mm. he could build a business. Now, Lifeboy had a, a clear, meaningful social context in the UK then mm-hmm. in which to operate. It grew to become a global brand. Um, it stopped... Uh, being in the UK and the US. I mean, it was a huge brand in the US. Lifeboy invented the phrase BO. That came from Lifeboy. So it was it was a very um, a, a seminal brand and, and part of culture. Um, but it, it, its huge growth in recent years has come out of uh, developing countries. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest brands in India. Right. Uh, more people in India know the Lifeboy jingle than the Indian national anthem. So it's a huge brand there. Because those issues around urbanisation and health and hygiene 
are incredibly relevant. And Life Boys become the biggest uh, health soap brand in the world, has been um, hugely involved in helping develop the sustainable development goals and how they relate to hygiene and driving behavior change programs, created something called Global Handwashing Day back in 2008, which is a UN recognized day and, and, and has been involved in uh, changing the behavior around soap usage around the world uh, and is, 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 is a huge global brand. And as you say, it, it is a great story for what happens when you can identify a social mission that is directly relevant to your business, mm. how you can affect real positive social change and at the same time build a hugely successful business, Yeah, which, which is what William Lever did in the first place. And uh, certainly over the last 10, 15 years, um, the brand has, has rediscovered. That's, that's brilliant. I mean, it's one of the things that's kind of nice, actually, is that in, in Britain we don't need uh, the Lifebuoy brand in that sense. And uh, so it's, yeah. it shows the development where, where and, we're and I think I think what, what's an interesting is the, 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 the connection between doing well and doing good is, is very simple in Lifebuoy in that if you encourage people to wash their hands with soap more often, mm. it will protect them from disease and you will sell more soap. I mean, it's not, there's not difficult maths in that. I think what, what, what's been interesting for us is from that very simple, straightforward example, we've been able to create a model that you can then apply to businesses and brands in countries like the UK, where there are lots and lots of other social issues in which business can affect change and, um, and can build its growth in that social context. Yeah, so that's, I know that obviously the Business on a Mission book uh, was a high-profile book you uh, at the launch, you had uh, Paul Pullman mm. uh, launch it with you because you've been working with Unilever for a while. So, you know, and he's a busy guy. So him giving up an evening for that. I was actually personally gutted that I couldn't actually make that launch. I was uh, double booked for the day and uh, I had a, a client that I, I had to work with that day. So because that was something that I'm sure was fantastic. So and I'm sure at that meeting, uh, Paul and, and yourself and the book, um, we're going to be we're talking about why businesses should be mission led, mm. and so for the listeners, uh, let's uh, let's find out why, why you're thinking that businesses yeah. should be mission led. Well, I mean, Paul talks about why business. You know, he'd like to see the case for businesses not being mission led, um, and certainly what we talk about in the book is um, that the, there are huge megatrends at play in the world that are pushing business to engage with society, to re-engage with society. Because I think when businesses first were, were establishing themselves, they understood their social context, they were directly connected to it, and they understood that they had to, to sort of be cognizant of those social issues in order to grow. And I think that's, that's been, that's one of the things we talk about in the book, that, that's been forgotten maybe over the last 30 or 40 years. The megatrends at play in terms of the transparency forced by the internet, the rising generations of, of millennials and, and Generation Z who are looking and have different expectations of the businesses they work for mm. and will buy from, um, and the increased awareness of climate change and the environmental impacts we are having on the world are all forcing business to recognise its social obligations, but then to look at how those can drive growth um, for them. So I think the Sustainable Development Goals, when they were set in New York two years ago by the UN, are really interesting. One of the really interesting things about that is that they were developed as in partnership between the governments and their representatives at the UN, the, the not-for-profit world and charities and NGOs, and business, and that those three different types of organisation came together. Um, and I think that's, that, that sort of demonstrates the understanding 
in the world among progressive businesses that they have to move in that direction. I think those mega trends around uh, digital transparency, younger generations and environmental understanding. And then what the, the, the missing piece sometimes is, and this is what we the, the, the point of the book is, is I think business is sometimes nervous about saying we're doing this for commercial reasons as well. So what we look at in the book is what are the commercial reasons for business to engage, to become mission-led, to engage in social issues? What are those commercial reasons that will make their involvement in the issues sustainable and enduring and last last over 10, 20, 30 years rather than simply you know, a, a charitable involvement that, that might... Uh, drift away when um, mm. a pet charity changes or, or, or business issues are tough. If you can root the engagement in social missions at the heart of a business's business strategy, then you're going to create alliances and, and a sort of mission-led approach that will, will endure. So can you get, I mean, Unilever have been kind of bubbling under as a, an organisation with that sort of, you know, starting out with uh, Lever up in the Wirral. Mm. Um, can you give an, an example of maybe an organisation that you've worked with um, that started out with less connection to the mission for in their kind of like uh, founding story, but have kind of grasped it? And because you've, you've managed to work with them to, for them to understand the commercial value. Well, I think there's I, I think a lot of the consumer goods companies have been ahead of the game on this simply because they were forced to mm. as uh, pressure groups who, who are the sort of among the world's most brilliant strategic communicators, understood the leverage they had mm. over a brand that was had a consumer uh, face and therefore whose reputation was incredibly valuable and therefore vulnerable to attack. Mm. So the consumer goods companies, Unilever, Nike and others, have been at the forefront. Business-to-business organisations and, and more corporate organisations are absolutely catching up now. Mm. An interesting company, take Kimberly-Clark, for example. Mm-hmm. So Kimberly-Clark, the world's biggest paper company, the, the manufacturer of brands like Kleenex and Huggies and Andrex. Mm. Very well-known brands. That, that, the roots of that company are in paper mills. It's a paper business. And you go back in time. Um, and uh, when, when Greenpeace really started its campaigns against deforestation and concerns about that... They, they looked at Kimberly Clark as the owner of, of some of the most high-profile paper mm. products, brands in the world, and absolutely targeted them and said, look, you need to be creating um, more sustainable production of paper in terms of um, reducing the impact of deforestation and making sustainable sourcing of paper a number one priority. Kimberly Clark absolutely did that, and they were on that path anyway, but they accelerated that and they became... A, um, a sort of paragon of virtue in terms of the sustainable sourcing of paper. Mm. And Greenpeace then came to them later and said, look, you're, you're doing great. Can you not make more of it and talk about it mm. more? Because you've got all these brands that are sitting in people's shelves, they're on supermarket shelves, they're in people's homes. Can you talk about the importance of sustainable sourcing of paper there? Because mm. that will encourage others. And they looked at that and that was, it was it was important, it was good, but it didn't necessarily drive consumer purchase. It didn't drive their business forward in the same way. It's a really important thing for them to do. But it's what we like to talk about as a shield rather than a sword. It was something to defend their reputation and to make sure they had sustainable sourcing and all those sort of things, and it was the right thing to do. But it wasn't driving brand growth in the same way. So we helped them look at 
okay, if, if the sustainable sourcing of paper is a shield for your business, what could be a sword? Mm. So we looked at the Andrex brand, um, uh, Cotonel, as it's called in other countries, but Andrex, the, 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 the biggest non-food brand in the UK, so a big brand, and said, actually, is there a, a social issue we mm. could engage with us that Andrex could engage with and make a difference to that could drive growth? And we looked at the, the, the world, the global, we ran the process and, and then ended up with the um, sanitation crisis, the 2.2 billion people in the world who don't have access to improve sanitation and toilets. Actually, Andrex is a brand that's a very natural space for them to be involved in. And so we partnered with, helped partner with UNICEF to start tackling this as an issue, and they've since partnered with WaterAid as well. And actually look at that as a brand. How can we use that to make, sort of create better marketing and stories, particularly in the digital space with consumers around what Andrex is doing there and where that links directly to the brand and that brand purpose of... um, uh, it was sort of a social mission about bringing the dignity of improved sanitation uh-huh. to people around the world. And actually that gave them better prominence in retail outlets. So Sainsbury's, for example, were running sort of big Andrex promotions at the front of store, which drove sales of Andrex, but at the same time was driving, um, you know, the very real work that UNICEF and Wardrobe and others are doing to tackle the sanitation program. So I think that that's, that's been a really interesting journey. And certainly that Again, we talk about that in the book, that identifying what are your shields mm. and what are your swords is a really interesting um, approach. Yeah, I like that, shields and swords, and, and, and uh, how the, that's a, the story and uh, the metaphors that you've got there is, is really important. And that's, I think, something that I'd like to, to, to move on to is actually um, there can be stories which are kind of uh, stay in a bubble, stay in a loop mm. of kind of like, say, the sustainability industry. And they, there's also stories which can be uh, in other industries, other areas, which can stay in that loop yeah. as well. And so uh, how uh, do you suggest that we could kind of like get some uh, conversation going, translation happening, stories being percolating between yeah. the two? Well, I, think, I think that's an incredibly important point. And I think it's, 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 it's a point that goes beyond the sustainability world at the moment. If you look at the, my, my personal experience, I woke up the morning after the Brexit vote in mm. the UK. And in the run-up to that vote, nobody I knew, nobody I work with, none of my family, none of my friends, no one in my social media feeds was saying anything other than, you know, we're going to vote Remain. So I was living in this bubble mm. of people who were going to vote Remain. And then the morning after, I suddenly realised I lived in a country where, you know, over 50% of the, the voting population felt the opposite, which is a real start wake-up call for me, um, that you cannot, um, that it is dangerous to live in this bubble of people mm. who agree with you. And obviously the same happened in, in, in the States around um, the presidential election. And we're seeing that. And I think while it is incredibly valuable for the sustainability conversation to happen, um, it's, you know, specialist podcasts like, like this one and conferences and media titles, it's really important to, to, to share ideas with people who, who are operating in the same space mm. and to, to, to share war stories and to, to look at case studies and to try and improve the work we're doing it is more than important to jump outside of that bubble hmm. and to talk the language of other people. And one of the, the ways we always talk about um, purpose, sustainability, mission, whatever you like to call it, is to talk about the commercial benefits and to talk about it in those commercial terms and not feel we're somehow 
going over to the dark side if we talk about it in commercial terms. And I think we've identified there are four areas in which um, engaging in sustainability drives business growth. And that's Mm. around sales, it's around marketing efficiencies, it's around employee engagement, and it's around license to operate. Mm. And um, therefore, we talk about our programs in the way that's relevant to those. So when we're talking about uh, a social mission that will drive sales, we talk about it in a very sales way that will engage a sales force and will engage um, customers. Mm. When we're talking about it in in terms of driving marketing efficiencies, we talk about how these stories will engage in digital media and social media and, and new ways of communication. When we're talking about employee engagement, we're talking about it in the language that the HR department mm. needs and is important to them. And when we're talking about license to operate, we're talking it in that sort of regulatory mm. framework and the corporate affairs work and, and, um, and that side of things. And I think it's incredible. I think one of the, the issues, and again, we talk about this in the book, and I've been in, in, in too many meetings um, sort of partnership negotiations between business and, and not-for-profit where the business organisation goes in, even though it's a much larger organisation, goes in there almost cap in hand with a sort of sense of moral inferiority <clears throat> that it would be somehow um, dirty to talk about the commercial reasons behind the partnership mm. and what commercial factors we need to have in that partnership in order for it to endure. And actually going in there saying, you know, we're doing this because we you know we've got really strong community obligations or we believe in doing good and the charity or the NGO on the other side they might nod along with that but they don't believe it Mm. but if you go in there saying we want to engage in this partnership because we believe it will drive our commercial growth in this space Mm. um, then you've got a sort of frank conversation Mm. you can build enduring conversation so for me it is it is about talking about it in in the language of um, in the language of business yeah absolutely and I think that's the thing. I'm, I was very self-conscious with the inspiring sustainability branding that I've mm. given to this podcast in that, because uh, I know that I'm speaking to the converted yeah. on this podcast mainly. But what's key to me is actually it's about the stories and the narratives, particularly about how we um, speak, uh, speak or influence or get action driving way beyond the converted mm. and, and the Unilever and Lifeboy story is a fantastic example of that and um, because it, for me you don't necessarily need to change everybody to get people being more sustainable it's actually sometimes about uh, the uh, changing changing the kind of the water around them rather than the DNA of the fish. Yeah. Um, so that the fish just kind of like walk in and swim in the right way. And, and that's why I think it's exciting why, why we've tended to work with and enjoyed working with these huge multinationals. Mm. Because if you can, if they're able to make incremental changes, mm. minor changes, the impact that can have globally is, is significant. Mm, yeah, and, exactly. and you can really drive change. Exactly. Um, so whilst it's, I mean, I very much support what, for example, Ecover are doing, and mm. they actually help drive some change within uh, what Unilever yeah. are doing. Actually, Ecover as a brand in its whole history probably has had less impact than Unilever changing some, some things minorly because of their global reach. But they're both important, actually. Absolutely. To, to yeah. work but but it's important that. to understand the different roles. Exactly. Um, so, uh, kind of, I'm starting to look to, we're fin- finishing off uh, this conversation, 
But one thing that I think the listeners and something I'm very curious about is, is the book itself. And I, I think it's, a, it's pretty much a kind of a how-to guide, isn't yeah. it? That, yeah. yeah, is how you would describe it. And so um, what one how-to that you would highlight from the book that people could take away, um, and uh, I'd highly recommend people reading it, um, would you uh, suggest? Well, I think that I'll give you a couple. The, the, the first one is that point I was just making before about going into... Because if you want to, if you, you want to engage in a social mission, you want to do good socially. Therefore, you have to work with experts in doing good socially. So that will nine times out of ten mean a partnership with an NGO or a charity. And the first thing is to go into those meetings and discussions, being absolutely open about your commercial motives for going into them. And I think that that transparency is vital. That's mm. one how to. Second one is about swords and shields. Businesses can do good in lots of different ways in their supply chain, in the way they engage their staff, in the way they, the sort of products they innovate and, and the changes they make to design and the issues they support. I think it's incredibly important to do the exercise of th- which, which are the shields and which are the swords. Mm. That swords and shields exercise is incredibly important. And then the other one is, is the, 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 the step-by-step guide we, we put in the book about how you identify the right social mission for you, how you go about creating that social good linking it to the commercial drivers uh, and then and then launching it to the world very good excellent right well i am delighted with that uh, short but very sweet uh, conversation that we've had there and um, so if people want to find you Andy how do they find you on, on the digital social world so the website is uh, mullenlowsalt.com and on twitter i'm at salty last if you want to, so so enjoy. So that's that S A L T Y L A S T L A S T. Great stuff. Okay, and if you want to find myself, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Adam Woodhall. Um, all word on on, on Twitter, and uh, just type it into uh, LinkedIn. Hopefully, you'll find me there, and you can find. Uh, more information about me and uh, this podcast series on inspiring-sustainability.com. There's other podcast blogs and further information there about what I'm doing. Um, so I just want to finish off by thanking um, Andy. Uh, really insightful conversation. And uh, keep on on your mission on uh, creating a mission in l- larger businesses. Th- thank you, Andy. Brilliant. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure. And thank you to the listeners. And until the next conversation, uh, I hope you enjoy whatever you're doing to inspire sustainability in your life. And I am signing off, Adam Woodhall from Inspiring Sustainability. Thank you. Thank you.